0: Turn, if you would, to the 15th chapter of the book of Romans. After that introduction, I think I'll just jump to the last verse and say we're done. We, we had an exciting day on Friday. I drove 555 miles and ended up where I started. We, we drove to Nacogdoches to visit uh, Stephen F. Austin. I've got a daughter that will probably be starting there in January. And then from there on the way home, we stopped in Temple because my uh, daughter was proposed to, and we were supposed to show up for dinner at 7.30. So that's the picture of us at dinner, and uh, you can notice somewhere on there there's a ring on her finger. (laughs) So next year I will have a a college student and uh, a wedding. I will be taking up a collection. How many have I had in college? This is the seventh one in college. I need a big collection. Uh, Right now, there's two at home until January, and then there'll be one at home. And she's 14, so she'll be there for a while. (sighs) I'm tired. Today we will be finishing the book of Romans one way or another we will be finishing it next week we are going to review the entire book so come next week and we will go through it chapter by chapter to remind ourselves what we learned this year in the book of Romans that'll put us at uh, 40 lessons on the book of Romans last time I taught it it took 32 lessons so I'm getting old and slow. Last week, we started chapter 15. We will finish chapter 15 today and do chapter 16. To me, chapter 16 is one of the hardest chapters of the book because it has lots of names that I have to pronounce. So you will be patient with me as I try to pronounce the names. We talked last week in chapter 15 dealing with the Gentiles and their relationship to the church. And Paul is going to outline in the last half of chapter 15 his plans for the future. So there's a lot of uh, history or planning history in this chapter. This is the reason I have not been, this is verse 22, have, have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I am no longer have any room for work in these regions, You remember his three missionary journeys around Asia Minor, what is now Greece and Turkey. You look at all the churches that were formed. That's where they were. Since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. What has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. If you remember, in the first chapter, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And you kind of look at that and go, why did he say that? Well, we speculated, and there is just some speculation here, that there were those who said, well, Rome, I mean, uh, Paul is okay out there in the boondocks. You know, out there walking around Asia Minor, he's okay, but he's scared to come to Rome, which is the center of the known world, the center of the Roman Empire. Paul is scared to come here and speak, and so he's just dabbling out there on the frontier. And Paul said, no, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I will preach the gospel any and everywhere that I can. What he says is he's got to go by Jerusalem on his way to Spain, and on his way to Spain, he's going to stop in Rome. That's his plan. Now, we can cheat because we have the book of Acts, and we know what really happened. Yes, he made it to Rome, just not the way he expected to make it to Rome. If you remember, in the book of Acts, we covered that, was it two years ago, whenever it was, He went to Jerusalem, got accused of starting a riot. There were some people who tried to kill him. The Romans protected him. They didn't want anything to do with him until he told them that he was a Roman citizen, and then they had to protect him. There was a trial. He was going to be condemned. There was some speculation about whether they would have let him go. But as a Roman citizen, he was able to appeal to Caesar. He said, I appeal to the higher court. They said, fine. We're going to lock you up, and we're going to send you to Rome. So he arrives in Rome in chains. Now, this is fascinating. It has always fascinated me. You've got a Roman soldier chained to Paul. Who's going to win this battle? And every several hours... They unchain that Roman soldier, and they stick another one in his place, and Paul starts all over again. That's where the book of Acts ends. That's what we know about the life of Paul. Church history tells us that he was, in fact, freed from the Romans at that time and did, in fact, make it to Spain, where he did preach the gospel. He returned to Rome, and that's where he was martyred for the faith. Having said that, once again, that's beyond the book of Acts. That is church history. Some of it might have some speculation thrown in. But Paul is telling them, it is my desire to come to you. It is my desire to see you so that I can bless you and so that you can bless me. But first, I have to go to Jerusalem to deliver some money. And it's interesting. Jerusalem was having big troubles. We had some rebellions going on, probably some famine going on. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any food. And the churches that were on the periphery said, Ah, there are Christians who are hungry, who need resources in Jerusalem. Let's provide it for them. And a collection was raised, and Paul was given the responsibility of taking that money to Jerusalem. Think about this for a while. We have a Jewish community, some of which converted to Christianity. We have a pagan community, some of which converted to Christianity. Now, the pagans and the Jews didn't get along that well. The Jews looked down on the pagans, and the pagans knew the Jews looked down on the pagans. They didn't get along very well. But the Jews converted to Christianity, and the pagans converted to Christianity were now brothers and sisters in Christ, and they were willing and able and wanted to share their material resources with each other. That's a good thing. But Paul throws in an interesting tidbit. They were willing to do it, and they ought to have done it. Because the Greek pagan communities have benefited from what God taught the Jewish community, from what God did in Jerusalem, for what God did. And since they received a, a spiritual blessing, they ought to return a material blessing if... They have the resources to do it. It is interesting. Sometimes we separate too much the spiritual world from the material world. We kind of think, you know, one half of it's nice and religious, and the other half is do your own thing. But you see, God wants to be God of all of it. And if God has blessed you spiritually, then God would welcome You using your material blessings to bless those who blessed you spiritually. And that's what he's telling them to do. They used their resources to help the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem because they were in need. Question. Well, you know what the question is. Where are the Christians in need today? Trust me, you can find them. We have a mission organization in this church who will tell you where they are if you don't know yourself. There are always those in need. So, at present, verse 25, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. That is what he's doing. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they are pleased to do this. Did they do it reluctantly? No. God blesses a cheerful giver. Those who give because God has given them. Hmm. For they were pleased to do it and indeed they Owe it to them, for if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When I've completed this, when I've delivered my gift, I will come visit you. Verse 30. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. Kind of a long sentence, but you know what he's saying. I would welcome your prayers. We are working in this together. I am going into hostile territory. He knew he was going into hostile territory. In fact, if you read the book of Acts, on his way to Jerusalem, the leaders of the various churches would come out and tell them all the bad things that were going to happen to him in Jerusalem. He wasn't blind to the reality. All he knows is he was going to go where God told him to go. And he would welcome the prayers of the church of Rome on his behalf. What does he want? Your prayers on, to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints so that by God's will I may come to you with joy joy And be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you. Amen. It's like he's ending the book. Right there. And then he's got a few other things to say. What does he want? That my service. For Jerusalem. Will be acceptable to the saints. So that in God's will. I may come to you with joy. What is service that is acceptable to the saints. I think that's interesting. I mean, obviously he wants it to be acceptable to God. I mean, that's a given, given what we know about Paul, given the fact that he's asking them for prayers. But he wants to be of service to the saints. He wants the saints to benefit from his presence. Now, we could ask another interesting question at this point. He's going to arrive in Jerusalem. There's going to be a small riot. There's going to be carting off to jail. There's going to be assassins sent to murder him. They're going to take a pledge that they're not going to eat, it, eat again until they kill him. You kind of wonder how long that lasted. All these bad things are going to happen. Question. Did God answer his prayers? Did he do what was acceptable to the saints, to God, in Jerusalem? And the answer is yes, because he did what God would have him to do. And number two, he got a free trip to Rome. I mean, let's look at it. You know, well, in change, yes, and... Shipwrecked and bitten by snakes, and I mean all kinds of things, right? Is our witness lessened, weakened by the fact that we're going through difficult times? Go ahead. By the time they got close to Rome, he was running the ship. (laughs) By the by the time he got close to Rome, he was running the ship. They knew who was in charge at that point. Yes, go ahead. Maybe I missed something. I don't remember if it says it somewhere in Scripture, but this, why did he appeal to Caesar? Was that something God had told him to do? Or? He was worried that, A, he would be found guilty, and, B, if he wasn't found guilty, he'd be released and they'd kill him. Okay? We're not really told. We are told that the... The the people trying him said, you know, we may have let you go. But that's speculation. I mean, people say all kinds of things, right? You do know that the people in the Bible sometimes tell lies. And if they tell lies and the Bible writes down what they said, the Bible is accurate even though what they say, you get the picture, right? So the answer is he appealed to Rome because he could. He could, as a Roman citizen, and he viewed it as the way of continuing his ministry. Okay? The Jews wanted to kill him. The Jews were really, really ticked off at him. So, is the work of God, is the presentation of the gospel weakened and hindered because the messenger is going through difficult times? The answer is probably not. In fact, you can almost... I don't want to say this because I don't want to be there. But you can almost make the case that the message is strengthened as the difficult times reveal the character of Christ in the person presenting the gospel. We see this throughout history. Those who present the gospel... In very difficult circumstances, the power of God works through them to accomplish great things. You see, we as 21st century Americans sometimes have this idea that I've got to present this nice, beautiful presentation of the Christian life as being one that, well, hey, matches America, 21st century American life. And if somehow there's difficulties involved, somehow you're going to be turned off by the whole thing. The reality is it is the Holy Spirit who is drawing people, and the Holy Spirit has great power and strength when we have great weakness. Just a speculation. Yes? Well, he, even got to testify before kings. he did. He got to testify before the officials... The highest level of the Roman government, both in Judea and back in Rome itself. He got an audience that he wouldn't be able to have otherwise. And besides that, there were all those Roman soldiers that he kept getting chained to. I mean, look at it this way. You have Billy Graham in his prime. And for four hours a day, you're handcuffing some poor pagan to him. <laughs> Go figure what's going to happen, right? Revival's going to break out. As someone referred to it, it is a, you ready for this? A chain reaction. <laughs> oh, oh, boo. I know, that's really bad. That's the end of last week's lesson. (laughs) On to chapter 15. It's like he finished the letter, but he wanted to remember. Chapter 15 is a list of people. That's all it really is. Remember this person. Say hello to this person. This person really helped me. This person did great things. It's a fascinating list for a variety of different reasons. First off, it demonstrates that Paul recognized that everything he accomplished, he accomplished because of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life and the work of people helping him. Nowhere in there is, oh, I've done all this myself. We have people in here who rescued him, who fed him, who taught him, who helped him when he was in dire straits. And he is saying, thank you. The second thing we need to remember is that outside this chapter, most of these people we don't know anything about. Some of them we do. Aquila and Priscilla, we know lots about them. They're talked about frequently in the book of Acts. They helped Paul. They were tent makers with Paul. They helped Apollos. They did great things. And a few of the others we know by name. Some of them we have some speculation. Oh, this might have been that person over there. But for the most part, outside this chapter, we don't know who they are. Why is that important? Somebody shared the gospel with Billy Graham. Somebody shared the gospel with every preacher that ever existed. Do we know their names? Eh, Sometimes we do. Billy Graham's written biographies, we know. Sometimes it was a family member. Sometimes it was a friend. Sometimes it was just some random person on the street who shared the gospel with them. We then turn around and we see this great evangelist and we go, wow, that's great. God looks at this person who was faithful to do what God wanted them to do and said, that's great. Which is greater? It's a stupid question in God's eyes. Because God is looking for faithfulness wherever God has put you. So we look at this list of people, and there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. One is, who's in my list of people? Who is in the list of people that have made me what I am Today, for better or for worse, sometimes we forget. We forget my grandmother who paid me 10 bucks to memorize the books of the Bible in order. That was a long time ago. A long time ago. 54 years ago. If you ever have the opportunity to pay one of your grandkids to memorize the books of the Bible, pay them. I don't care what the amount of money is. Pay them. Why? Because knowing the books of the Bible in order is a good thing. The people who gave me books to read at the right time, people who taught me in the nursery, in Sunday school, the good old-fashioned pagans who challenged me to learn things that I wouldn't necessarily have learned. Each of us has a list of people. None of us are self-made human beings, and we should be humble, and we should acknowledge the people that God has brought into our lives. Number two. Not only do we look at who's on our list, sometimes we think about whose list are we on. Not out of pride, just acknowledging the fact that, you know, I talked to that person one time and it worked out well. But also acknowledging the fact that you may be on people's list and never, ever, ever, ever know it. But God does. You may share the gospel with someone tomorrow and never see them again. And ten years from now, the Holy Spirit will move in their lives and they will respond to that gospel message. God knows. You may never know. You might know. There was a young lady that I worked with. Ten years after she left the company, she called me. She actually talked to my wife and said, I became a Christian, and I wanted you to know. Hmm. Good stuff. We both have a list, and we contribute to the lives of others. Sometimes it's public. Sometimes it's private. Sometimes we make the big leagues, and we get the into the book of Acts sometimes we just get mentioned in the 16th chapter of the book of Romans but that's okay because there will come a time there will come a time when we will appear before the judge who knows everything he does he knows what influences occurred he knows the people who did things that the rest of the world didn't see. So we're going to read through chapter 16 with me doing the best I can to pronounce these names. Okay? If I get into trouble, I'll ask Don. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church of Sennachera, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. The speculation is is that Phoebe delivered the letter. We're going to see later that somebody else actually penned the letter. Okay? That shouldn't surprise us. It was quite common for me to dictate a letter. So at the end, there's going to be somebody who actually wrote it down. There's not the U.S. Post Office. You don't put it in an envelope, stick a stamp on it, and stick it in the mailbox. Somebody needs to deliver the letter. And our speculation is that is Phoebe. It is interesting for those of you who want to get into a discussion of such things. There's all kinds of women mentioned in this list. Okay? There's men. There's women. There's some discussion about some of the names, which category they fall into. Okay? Phoebe delivered the letter, and Paul says she is a servant. I want you to welcome her, and I want you to give her any help that she needs. She has a very influential role. I want you to give her help. Help her in whatever she may need for, for, from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet uh, Prisca, Priscilla, and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their lives for my life, for whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. That's interesting. We know about them from the book of Acts. But when we met them, they weren't living in Rome. They were living somewhere in Asia Minor. What we know is that they were kicked out of Rome because the emperor said, I'm tired of these Jews, Jews go home. So they, being good Jews, left and they went to Asia Minor where Paul meets them because they were tent makers. He was a tent maker. You say, wasn't he a preacher? Yes, he didn't pay very well, so he made tents. So he made tents, they made tents, he shared the gospel, they responded to the gospel. They had a church in their home. They had a church there. At some point they moved back to Rome and they had a church there. What does it mean? It means they were doing the work of God wherever God planted them. If God plants them in Rome, they'll worship God. If God plants them in Asia Minor, they'll worship God. They were very influential in the life of Paul and in the life of others that Paul was associated with. Greet my beloved uh, Passanacis, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. I like Mary because I can pronounce her name. (laughs) There's lots of Marys in the Bible. We have no idea which one this is. It could be a totally different one than the Gospels. There's been lots of speculation, but that's all it is. What does it say? Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Question. How does Paul know all these people? He's writing to the Church of Rome, where he's never been. He's writing to say hi to all of these people who he's met. Where would he have met them? In Asia Minor. What does that mean? They traveled around. What did they do when they traveled around? They spread the gospel. Funny how that works, right? Greet Mary, who works very hard for you. It's interesting when you think about the simplicity of that statement. All it says is they worked, well, what'd they do? I don't know what they did. But they did it to the glory of God and they worked hard on behalf of the church in Rome. Question, what needs to be done in the church? Answer, everything. Somebody has to clean the building. Somebody has to clean the house. Somebody that where the church is. Somebody has to prepare the food. Somebody has to do all of these things. I told this story before, because I like it, about my mother. I went to a funeral years ago and I got into the service a little bit early and sat behind my mother and another woman in the church. Okay? So I'm sitting right behind them, listening. And they're talking about people. And I'm sitting there going, great. My mother's sitting in a church at a funeral, gossiping. But then I started paying attention to what they were talking about. They were running down the people in the church who had needs and making sure those needs were being met. Who's taking food to them? Oh, yeah, they were. Okay, that's They were working through the needs of the community of believers to make sure those needs were being met. And if they weren't being met, they were going to meet them. They were working hard for the community of believers. They weren't lazy. They didn't show up to church on Sunday, put in their one hour and go home. They were working hard for the community of believers greet mary who has worked hard for you greet andronicus and junia my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners they are well known to the apostles and they were in christ before me now you would not know from my quick reading of that verse how much controversy that verse has created anybody have any idea why if you don't i'll just keep reading and we will be much happier for it. Junius is an interesting name, Junia, Junia, excuse me, because it actually can be masculine or feminine. The speculation is that it's feminine and that this is probably a husband and wife team, okay? That's a good answer. But the next problem comes when it talks about they are well-known among... Or by the Apostles. Because there is speculation. Oh, this means that Junia, a female, was one of the Apostles. Doesn't that violate all kinds of things? Well, maybe it does and maybe it doesn't. But what does it, I mean, what does the sentence mean? Okay. It says here they are well known to the Apostles. If you read an older translation, it says they are well-known among the apostles. Seven. So, what does being well-known among the apostles mean? Babe Ruth is well-known among baseball players. You take the group of baseball players... Babe Ruth is in that group, and he's well-known. But being well-known among baseball players may also refer to Babe Ruth's mother. They all know her. She is well-known by this community, and that's what has produced the speculation. Within the Catholic tradition, where you do not have... um, female priest, because the apostles were male, there are those who want to use this verse and go, ah, see, you're wrong. Let me give you a kind of a rule of interpreting things. Don't use the more obscure passages to override the passages that are less obscure. Just as a general rule, also, don't belittle the role of women in the early church or in any church at any point in history. I believe that this married couple were helping the apostles and the friends of the apostles to the point that their names had been brought up, aren't they doing Good stuff, yes. Don't ever think that because you're of this sex, this ethnic group, or fill in the blank, that there's not ministry work to be done. As I said, that verse has prompted books. There's a lot of speculation going in. It also says, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. Kinsmen probably means they were Jewish. Fellow prisoners means they had rough times too. We hear about Paul. We hear about Peter. We hear about other apostles getting thrown into jail. Remember, there were areas where the whole Christian community was getting thrown into jail. Remember that Paul himself worked very diligently to throw them in jail when he was Saul before his conversion. (coughs) They are my fellow kinsmen. They are my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Amphilitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus, Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tyrphina and Tarphosa. There is some speculation that those are twins, probably twin sisters. We don't know. Greet the Lord. Perse- Greet the beloved Perseus, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. You know, that's the kind of person you show up at their house, and they're going to feed you dinner because you're family. Wait a minute. I'm not family. It doesn't matter. You show up for dinner. They're going to feed you dinner. My friend, my friend's mother, I show up, the mother feeds me dinner. Good stuff. Greet Encycratus, Philogen, Hermes, Patrobus, little Hermes, uh, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nursius and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches in Christ greet you. It's like he ended the book again. He's one of those guys who just can't stop talking. He must be a Baptist preacher. Once again, a list of people who we know very little about outside of this chapter. Who Paul is acknowledging helped me, they helped the Lord, they helped the church, and that's good. Wouldn't you have loved to have been one of the people who showed up in one of Paul's letters (laughs) What does this mean to us? It means there are people who are helping us, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to remember that we can be those people who are doing the help, whether we receive the acknowledgement or not. We are called to be faithful. Verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. There are people who just want to break up the group, whatever the group is. Paul runs into this at the church at Galatia where the Judaizers come along and they say, Yeah, you can be a good Christian, but to be a good Christian, you have to be a good Jew first. It is interesting because Paul has a lot of patience with certain people. And he has no patience at all with other people. Remember a couple of chapters ago, we were talking about those who disagree with you about a disputable matter. And he says, don't do anything bad to them respect them, treat them right. Then we had this discussion about the weaker brother, those less mature believers, and we are to treat them with dignity and respect. And he gets over here and he says, don't have anything to do with these people. Have you ever met somebody who just wants to stir up a fight? Did you hear what they said about you? Can you believe that? Can you believe what she said about you? She told me yesterday what she... (laughs) don't do it. Don't be that way and don't tolerate those people. Christianity, the Gospels, the Scripture were being penned at this time. And there were a lot of people without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit saying here, Let me add a little more teaching to that. I think you need to fill in the blank. And they would come to a church and they'd say, okay, you're you're, you're learning this. I mean, some of that gospel stuff's good, but let me tell you the real scoop. Let me tell you what you really need to do. And he said, don't put up with it. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. There are people who speak so well that they could convince you to buy anything. What's the old saying? He speaks so well he can sell ice cubes to Eskimos or something. There's all kinds of things like that. And they come into the church, and they try to sell you something. Yes? We a doctor friend of ours <coughs> who used to be a neighbor. I called Norman. and I Bible bumpers. one uh, time. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, I can't even remember talking to <laughs> the Lord. I don't know what what brought that up. But uh, anyway, so you, you know, you're you going to get all kinds of criticism. It's going to I was reading an article the other day talking about, uh, well, it was actually talking about poor white people, but the fact that in most educated circles, the one group that you can criticize and mock and make fun of with no fear of ever offending anybody are evangelical Christians. You just can Why? Because we're Bible thumpers. We're something else. Avoid those people who are just trying to stir up strife. And it's interesting because he says they're serving their own appetites, their own desires. Why would you do that? I mean, let's face it. Why would you want the job if God hadn't called you to the job? Go back to the Old Testament. Go back to when the prophets were doing their thing. Isaiah, Jeremiah. There were the prophets of God And they usually got beat to a pulp. But it says there were lots of other prophets. And they ate at the king's table. They got invited to all the right meetings. But they didn't speak for God. They were satisfying their appetites and their desires for power, for influence, for prestige. Fill in the blank. I don't know what else. They They tickled the ears of their listeners in order to get into those positions. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Throughout this book, Paul has had nothing but good things to say for the church of Rome. Remember last week's lesson, or was it the week before? He said, I have full confidence that you know this stuff. I do want to remind you of a few things. And we all need to be reminded of things at times. But here he says, I have confidence. Your obedience is known to all. So I rejoice, but I want, I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent to what is evil. What does that mean? I want you to have experiential knowledge of what is good. What does that mean? It means I've studied the scripture. I've listened to godly teachers. And I go out and do what God wants me to do. And I look back and I go, wow, that was great. I learned it I, in my head. I learned it in my heart. And I know I have tasted and seen that it was good. I want you to be wise in what is good. There are those that would have you believe, though, I need to go dabble in the evil so that I have experiential knowledge of it, so that, well, I can better deal with it later. No. I want you to be innocent of the evil. Wait a minute, don't we all sin? Yes, we all sin. But don't go looking for it. Don't think that you have to participate in the sins of the world to witness to the world. It is interesting. I was reading an article by uh, John Piper talking about a particular TV show that's very popular among young people and it has lots of sex and violence. And he makes the comment, the world today does not need more young people who can relate to the people of this world. What the world today needs are more young people who can relate to God and show that to the world around them. And it applies to us, too. You and I have participated in enough, enough evil in our lives, okay? We're not going to ask for list. We're not going to give list. But what God wants Is for us to be wise in our knowledge of what is good. And he wants us to be shocked when we hear about evil because I just can't imagine that. Are we naive? No. We are innocent. Be wise what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The Lord, the God of peace, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you, so do Lucius and Jason, and Cispatur, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. That's the guy who actually wrote it. Okay? Shouldn't surprise us. It doesn't mean he stole it. It doesn't I mean he was the scribe that wrote it. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now, we actually do get to the end of the book. Now, to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret, for long ages, but by now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forever, Jesus Christ, amen. What is that gospel message? That's what we're going to talk about next week when we review the entire book. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you For the people that influenced Paul's life. And thank you for the people who have influenced my life. I pray, Lord, that I would give them the honor that is due them. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.